So, hello everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Justin Lovato. I found him through Instagram, through a friend named Jarrett, and I'm very curious about his story. He he seems to he has a following of people who follow him for meditation and, and mindset and other things. And I just wanted to pick his brain about a few different things. So thanks for coming on, Justin. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Of, of course. So, so who are you and what do you do? Tell us that. <laughs> That's such a, um, a loaded question. Um, well, who am I? I'm a person who uh, personally seeks uh, the exploration of consciousness. And then through that, um, I found a deep desire to help others to do the same. And uh, just like anybody else, I think along this life, we've become more conscious and more self-aware of how we can lead by example. And, um, you know, I think I organically have uh, evolved into this um, person who likes to essentially hold safe space for individuals. You know, I was doing it without realizing it unconsciously as a personal trainer for many years. Uh, when I was bodybuilding and stuff like that. And then I was holding safe space for clients then. And then I found myself, uh, as I explored breath work and meditation, uh, holding safe space in, in those ways through the power of the breath. And, uh, and then also the ability to uh, essentially simplify um, enlightenment in a way. Uh, for people through conscious conversations, behavioral coaching. So that's kind of like who I am, I guess, in a nutshell. I mean, if, uh, if you want to ask actually who I am, I am the universe experiencing itself through this vessel that you call Justin. So um, that's also who I am. But I'm also this, this sentient being experiencing this and enjoying it and learning and evolving and becoming more love. That's a great answer. I love that. And so before we dive into that, what started you down this path of breath work, meditation, expansion of consciousness, etc.? Um, you know, I don't think it was any one singular thing. I would say I think intuitiveness and like my path and where it led me was a big part of self-discovery. Um, you know, I was always into training and athleticism, and I used things like visualization at a very young age. I think that was a, a big thing that I didn't know I was uh, using in such a powerful way at a very young age. And also even cold therapy. As an athlete, I was using cold therapy for, for different things uh, like muscle recovery and muscle repair. So I was doing a lot of these, these techniques that I use now for meditation um, for my athleticism and for sports at a young age. So I was kind of dabbling with them at an early age. Uh, and then I found myself, um, as I mentioned, really loving the, uh, the holding of the space for individuals during PT work. And I found a real calling to that. I wasn't really drawn to training other bodybuilders or competitors in that sense, nothing driven by the ego. I was more so um, really enjoying the, the, the people that were kind of afraid to come to the gym and were nervous and they really wanted to make change for the love of self but their mind got in the way. And so I found myself training those types of individuals, holding safe space for those types of individuals um, as I continued on my, uh, my own path. And then, um, you know, psychedelics was a big role in my development at age 29, 30. I started um, using psychedelic mushrooms and 
that's when I really became aware of self, I would say, in many ways. I think I was an autopilot um, throughout most of my life, like almost like a child. I would say even almost to the age of 29, 30. And uh, when I did mushrooms, I was able to essentially step outside of self, zoom out, so to speak. And um, it still was very much unconscious at that point and very much unaware of what was happening. But I had a stronger intuitiveness on how to lead and or be in my everyday life. So I found myself naturally like using less plastic or eating less animals or um, picking up garbage. I found myself just drawn to being more mindful uh, and not really knowing why. Um, but that was just from the early mushroom use. And I really didn't explore it because um, that's my personality as well. I don't really look into many things. I kind of just experience them and then go through it and continue on. Uh, the next big moment for me was DMT and experimenting with DMT around like 32 years old, a couple of years later. And uh, even then when I was having full-blown conversations with entities and um, spirits, if you will, I, I still didn't really tie too much weight to it. As weird as that sounds, I, I just, again, allow it to um, guide me to be more mindful. Again, I really didn't start getting into sharing it or, or even looking into it in any way um, until later on. I mostly just used it when I felt the need of guidance in a way, even though I didn't even have that thought. It was just like an intuitive pull to feel like, oh, you know what, I'm, I think I'm gonna try using DMT today, or I'm gonna do DMT today. Because at that time, I, I didn't understand meditation, what it was all about, or uh, the breath at the time. Um, so DMT was my portal into consciousness, or the universe, or loving awareness, whatever term you would like to use. Um, so I was using DMT essentially to create a stillness within myself to open up that portal for an original thought to flow through. Uh, again, this was all done unconsciously, but this is what I was doing unconsciously, uh, throughout many of my years. So, uh, I would get a download from the DMT from the stillness. And then from that download, I would have a perspective shift on how to be more love, how to be better, how to lead. Uh, and then I, I discovered breath work. Randomly, actually, I just found myself doing breath work one day. I don't know why. Um, that's usually how all this stuff kind of worked out. Uh, and then I started doing breath work, and I was, and then I realized that I could ascend to the same space, the quantumness that I was getting through DMT through the breath. And I found that incredibly fascinating. And um, I had a wonderful set of synchronicities that kept happening, like within. Two days of the breath, I always had, uh, at the time, very trouble with focus, reading, and comprehension due to my lack of focus. So I, uh, I was able to, and for whatever reason, I found myself in our library at the time that I never used uh, because I lacked the focus to read. I, like, two days after breath work, I found myself in there randomly, um, pulling a book off a shelf randomly, and it was a Joe Dispenza Becoming Supernatural book randomly and uh, so I started reading directly after my breathwork meditation and I was able to take in the information uh, hold on to it uh, completely understand it without having to read it 10 times in a row and uh, yeah so it was this wonderful I guess you, you can call it an awakening or understanding of who I actually was it connected all the dots from the previous years to becoming enlightened which is the fundamental understanding that 
you are not the person. You are not the human thinking mind. That I am a part of this universe, and this universe is experiencing itself through everything, through everyone, all at once, all the time, through different levels of awareness. And so that was a, a powerful shift and also completely uh, freeing. I became psychologically free of the mind at that point. And, uh, and then what happened next was me wanting to share this with everybody, obviously, this new finding. Because uh, I, I noticed a lot of people suffered from the mind. And uh, I broke free of it. And uh, at first I tried to use my words to explain it in many ways, and I, I realized that wasn't ever really received very well. So I, um, I learned uh, early on that the best way to help people uh, have a glimpse into who they are was through stillness. And so I, I understood that the best way I can really lead by example was one, doing this work myself, meditating on a daily basis, leading by loving example, but then also creating safe space essentially for people to become still, to become present, to become conscious so that they can have their own downloads for themselves, just like I was able to throughout my own personal journey. And um, yeah, so that's what I do now is I create safe space for people to become present and they learn everything on their own in a way, you know, through their own experience in their own right in their own timing in their own journey. Yeah, and it's uh, it's really cool. Wow, that really is cool. It's crazy how a few substances or just even some specific breath work can really just open up your mind to a, a new perspective, a, a shift in the way you think. And I really, I really find that interesting. What breath work specifically was the breath work that really kind of helped you be present and maybe even led you to that Joe Dispenza book? Like what kind of breath work do you typically do? Um, you know, I, um, mine's fairly simple. I would say it's more so of a shenomic type of breath work. I didn't know. What I, kind of breath work? Shenomic. Shenomic. Sh shamanic. Yeah, sorry. Shamanic okay. type of breath work. And, um, you know, just even slow intentional breaths, you know, even breaths in, even breaths out. Uh, I was a big fan of using, uh, shamanic music as well um conscious music if you will while i was always doing my breath work so that's what i would do i'd pick a good playlist and i would be taking uh, some pretty powerful breaths in and out and uh, at a certain point i would exhale and hold for a duration of time and then at a certain point i would inhale and hold for a duration of time and then i would repeat and then i found myself being able to hold my breath very long as i continued on each round and, um, yeah. And then at some point I became nothing, nobody, nowhere, you know, essentially ascending into what Joe Dispenza calls the quantum. So, um, I, I started, uh, really kind of, uh, showing this to my clients that I was PTing at the time, or they also saw a substantial change in me. They saw me shift in just in who I was and the way I even looked or walked or felt. And it felt good for them to be around me. So they were really curious of what, what has changed. And I told them I was getting into this breath work in the morning. And I was like, explaining what was happening too, because like some supernatural stuff happens. You know, you do, again, like with entities or spirits would come down and say, what's up? 
just like the DMT and just like the mushrooms. So I was having these moments again that I haven't had in a while since like the DMT stuff, you know, because I wasn't doing DMT all the way up to this point. You get to a point where you like you get enough lessons and you just put it to work now and uh, you integrate it, you know. And um, so the breath work kind of like revamped all of that in a really powerful way, um, in a very, very powerful way, because it actually set the tone for true enlightenment. Because before I really didn't have that concept. I, I always thought I was just the avatar. And the avatar was only connected to this earth and this planet. And so uh, I felt very grateful that I had this opportunity as a sentient being to live in this, this singular life, which is what I thought I lived. How lucky. And so that allowed me to be very grateful as I went through this life, understanding that you only get one life at the time. Uh, and you, I was only connected with Earth, which I thought was very special because I didn't think there was anything else like it. Um, come to find out, though, you are this universe and everything within it, um, which is quite beautiful as well. Even more vast, even more spectacular. Um, but I found myself uh, creating a program, essentially, because my clients were asking me to put them through my breath work that I was doing. And at the time, I didn't have a, uh, a program, obviously. I was just kind of like running my own flow or my own intuitive breath work so uh, i put something together and um it's the one that i still use to this day uh, I, i've done a, a little bit of research on other forms of breath work um it is a similar variation to wim hof i found out with the holds except i increased my holds where he doesn't and as of recently i also switched from mouth breathing to nose to mouth breathing i don't do mouth breathing anymore which was a big shift as well and uh yeah and so uh, i've been building these type of programs i've recently got into a new variation which is a spinal flex breath work which is done seated which i really do like um a lot of movements within the spine i actually do this before the shamanic breath work that i do and uh, yeah it's a, a great way to start my day man interesting and uh i guess i have a question in regards to you say you've might you feel as if you understand the idea of enlightenment more these days explain to people what that might mean being enlightened so my definition of enlightenment is the understanding that you are not the human thinking mind that you are not your thoughts so if you're not the human thinking mind you are not your thoughts you are not this sentient being per se what are you and um I understand that we are consciousness, this universe, and this universe is vast, it's infinite, it's perfect, um, and it is experiencing itself, as I mentioned, through everything, through everyone, all at once, all the time, through different levels of awareness, through you, through me, a tree, a rock the space that you cannot see, the blackness within outer space, the planets, the sun, the stars, everything is the universe. Everything is loving awareness and it's experiencing itself through everything. And um, that is enlightenment. Interesting. It kind of reminds me of the word like being. Anything that is has to be. And if you are being, you are, you know, you are being like the tree is being a tree the stars are being stars we are being 
humans, which we don't even fully understand what we are. Why does our brain work? Why can we extrapolate? Why can we hypothesize? And I, you're, you're saying that our brains slash humans are the universe itself looking inward as if it's like a mirror. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, it's just, it's understanding. I think that when you identify as the being, you create separateness and separateness creates suffering. So if you believe you are the person and you are separate from the universe, that's when we suffer. If you believe you are your thoughts. And as you mentioned, like this being, we don't even know, or he doesn't even know who he is because of his conditioning and the way he was raised and the manipulation. So this being has no idea how to be, and he never is being. So if you identify with this conditioned human that has no idea how to be, you will suffer. So it's about first not identifying with the being that yes, you are not the being, but yes, you are the being, right? Cause you're everything, but it's first, you know, not identifying as the being because the being is completely conditioned through fear and lack. And so you have to zoom out from the being, become the watcher of the being consciousness to then retrain the being to be loving awareness. And then once the being is loving awareness, essentially present during its beingness, then you actually get to experience being. Interesting. And you're saying that without that, you know, loving awareness, objective outside view of your own being, you're going to suffer more and more. And you might even let the universe and others suffer more because is that kind of what you're claiming? Yeah. You know, I think, I think it's, it's good to point out that most people aren't present and most people are living in their thought movie and their thought movie is a fear-based thought movie and a lack thought thought movie. So most people are truly suffering due to their, due to their fears and their experiences and their traumas. And they replay these fears and their experiences um, through this thought movie and these hypotheticals on repeat. And so most people aren't actually present during their time here. They're within their thought movie and their thought movie is terrifying for the most part. It causes them to get sick, causes them to become depressed. Um, it causes them to use forms of low vibrational stimulations to cope with this thought movie. And so if they think they are their thoughts, they'll never get out of their thought movie. You have to step outside of your thoughts, understand you're not essentially your thought movie, that you are consciousness, right? Perfect, worthy, divine. And then you have to introduce consciousness to your being, to your person who has these different thoughts of unworthiness, of I'm not enough, of fear, which are all an illusion because it's actually a part of consciousness. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm following for the most part. So would you say there's this idea, I guess I kind of grew up Christian. I'm not sure how I think of Christianity yet, but they, there's this idea that, you know, you're never enough as a human. You're always going to have sin or you're always going to make mistakes. You're, you're never perfect. Mm -hmm. So are you trying to say that, you know, you as a being aren't perfect, but the consciousness that you're blessed with is perfect in some sense. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, we can walk it back. Like, so dogmatic, uh, religions, the reason why um, I don't agree with them is because they come from a place of judgment and the universe does not judge. Um, even if you want to call the universe God, God does not judge. 
So that's why dogmatic religions don't feel good, because they're based out of judgment, um, which is also unconscious. Consciousness doesn't judge. Consciousness understands things are the way they are. There is no such thing as good or bad. Those are human constructs. Hmm. So Interesting. Keep going. Yeah, so it's just really about realizing that there are uh, just deep conditionings that make you identify with things on purpose, you know, like what you do for work, how much money you make, the body you have. And it all comes down to um, worthiness of am I enough? And I think that's where most people really struggle. You know, a lot of times, uh, and this it happens at such an early age with quote-unquote good parents or bad parents. Parents in general, though, raise their children to be socially acceptable. And so this is done through a... Uh, a reward or punishment system and unfortunately this reward or punishment system isn't built out of love it's built out of fear of what society thinks about their parenting skills and so from the beginning a child is being judged at the very very beginning and it doesn't know how to process um, this at all in fact when it gets judged or punished um, it feels unworthy it doesn't feel like it's enough and parents, they don't—they do this all the time without realizing it. And a good example is that they don't even know how to hold space for when a child actually is, say, losing its shit, right? Like throwing a temper tantrum. Most parents are so worried about what society thinks about them and their parenting skills freaking out in the middle of a target. Um, they shush their kid out of fear of what other people may think, so they don't even hold space for their child at that point. So the child also then feels unworthy and not heard. And this all starts at a really young age. This happens on the airplane all the time when a child's when a child's crying on an airplane and the, and the parent's shushing the child. You can tell when she's shushing out of the fear of um, inconveniencing the airplane versus like becoming present with her baby, giving it her attention, her weight, her love, stuff like that. So it's a really uh, unconscious thing that we all kind of do. Um, to our children and to ourselves. And then the school system also um, enforces this more with the pass or fail of the grading system. And then of course the dogmatic religions, heaven or hell. And so the whole system is um, unconscious. Interesting. Yeah, I can see some of those examples. Wouldn't you say that even if, you know, right or you know good and evil are human constructs as you say wouldn't you say they're sometimes still useful in a sense like okay you know it is actually not good for you for others for the universe for you to kill this person therefore it is wrong or the lower of the two options you know maybe you might not call it wrong whereas you know someone like me might just skip those steps and say okay yeah that is wrong that can be classified as evil or bad morally just because of how it impacts yourself that person the people around you and the universe in as a whole mm -hmm. so when when you said that you know right and wrong are human constructs wouldn't you say they're somewhat useful you know in how to live a actionable life i think once you are enlightened no because then you get understand that we are all one and everything is deeply connected so as soon as you label something essentially judge something as evil you are therefore unconsciously as well. Um, conscious would understand that, that that person who's doing something that's not aligned 
as evil is therefore also unconscious then because they don't realize that's also the universe right because they aren't the person so what you do actually is you see through the unconscious behavior and you see the love and because we are all one and we are connected then the person will be able to see that they are love and then make or become more conscious we become a mirror so if you're doing something right that say that's inappropriate and i choose to label it and view you as bad or evil or no good that's what you see then within yourself because that's what i'm projecting onto you i am that mirror now and you also feel that because we are one i am you and you are me we are connected but if i can see your behavior and understand and have empathy that you probably just didn't have the love or the support from when you were a child and you just probably had some unconscious parents that didn't know how to show you love and from that this is the result and i can have empathy compassion acceptance and forgiveness for you aka love as opposed to judging you i can hold space for you then it gives you the opportunity to see love within yourself because i'm a mirror i am you you are me so i don't think uh, judgment is ever the actual protocol and i know that's hard because you know, people can cause suffering, but they're also unconscious. So to judge an unconscious individual, I see it as also unconscious. Yeah, that was a good answer. Yeah, I guess specifically, I wouldn't consider the human that that did that action evil. I would just consider the action itself maybe an evil or a wrong action. The human or the being that was doing that action, like you said, they, they might be, it's a defense mechanism. Maybe there's trauma that's been built up all unconscious, hypothetically, yeah, unconscious. you know, like I don't like to consider anyone in the camp of good or evil. I try to say we all have the capacity with our actions to pursue what is good, evil, or in the middle. And, you know, it's up to us to hopefully tap into that, what is good or evil, yeah. you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider anyone good or evil, but yeah, I liked how you said, you know, separating the action from the person because the person is filled with trauma, with experience that may, that may force them to do that. And if you don't give them that space to maybe talk about their trauma or explain why they did it, they're never going to learn. You're never going to learn. The world will never learn why yeah. that well, happens. It's also interesting. Like even like labeling actions as good or evil, like, I mean, you can even just step outside of human construct when um, a lion kills an, you know, um, a wildebeest or something. It's not evil. Yeah, that's true. He's just hungry, you know. <laughs> He's on, yeah, yeah, and, and nature's savage as fuck, right? And so, if, say you have a human that is barely barely conscious on some levels he might be savage as fuck right he might be more primitive more reactive especially if he wasn't loved especially if he has to be very very reactive or very protective because of his experiences or her experiences so again it really just comes down to seeing it as unconscious if you can see the human as operating from the sentient being the avatar the monkey mind and not consciousness, you won't take it so personally. And then you don't get reactive and then we don't judge, right? Cause you don't, you don't judge the lion. It's funny. We don't, it's just happens. And so 
the closer it is to us, the harder it is to not take it personally. You know, it, like I've gotten really good about not taking really anything personally when anybody does anything. But, you know, Ram Dass always says, it's like, if you think you're conscious, spend the weekend with your family. And then it's a lot harder because your family is a lot more personal to you, right? So you get good at not reacting to the guy who cuts you off and gives you the finger on the road. But are you good at not reacting to your brother or sister talking some shit at a family dinner? Does it get under your skin? Do you get reactive? Do you stay conscious or drop to unconsciousness? Right? Do you get provoked? Does your heart close? Because that's really what Jesus was all about. So that's what made Jesus so gangster, right? Jesus understood enlightenment, that he was love, right? He was loving awareness. So anything that happened, whether it was someone betraying him or getting hung on a cross, he chose love. He didn't get reactive. He didn't take it personally. And that's really what this whole thing is about, is, is becoming aware, which is your purpose, enlightenment, and then learning how to lead by loving example, which is your second purpose. Uh, Eckhart Tolle calls it inner purpose and outer purpose. So your inner purpose is to become enlightened, understanding you're not the human thinking mind, that you are consciousness, right? Experiencing this beautiful sentient being who is also consciousness. And then the second part of your purpose, which Eckhart calls your outer purpose, is then leading by loving example. How do you share this knowledge with the world? How do you lead? And judgment isn't part of it. It's keeping your heart open during all those things. And that's the test every time. Those are all your tests. Your tests is each time, you know, to stay in love, to, to keep the heart open, or is when that person cuts you off, or when someone tries to provoke you. How do you handle it? Do you take it personally? Yeah, that's really, really good. I wrote down quite a lot of that. I hadn't heard of some of that. I'd heard of the people, but not the specific phrases. That was really good. And I guess one question I would have, you know, along the lines of all of these people, it seems like I think humility is also a huge part of it. Like, hmm, I am aware that, you know, I don't know very much. But at the same time, if you're if one is considering that they are enlightened, I feel like there could be a risk that, oh, I'm enlightened. I am aware of a lot of things. I know enough. I don't need to listen to this person because they aren't enlightened. Don't you think there's sometimes a risk of losing humility if what if you consider that you're enlightened? Like, how do you tailor against that? I think that happens all the time. I think that's also part of the process. You know, as you become enlightened, the ego dies and then the ego makes its way back. So, yeah, I think humility is a big part of it. I think the ego is, that's why enlightenment's also a thing I don't think a lot of people grasp, right? That's why I, I it's one of my biggest uh, things that I consistently talk about, which I'm surprised not more people do, uh, is enlightenment, the fundamental understanding that you're not the human thinking mind. Because if you, if you identify with the human thinking mind, you will also identify with the ego, Right. And so the ego is really good at making its way back in and attaching itself to things and identifying with things so it can stay irrelevant, alive. Uh, and I guess I should get into my thoughts on the ego and what the ego is. So a baby is born without an ego. It only knows love and only knows how to receive love. So at some point, the baby's brain manifests and creates what we call the ego. 
right? And why does it do this? Because it isn't safe. It's, it's, it's in a fear-based environment. So this baby's mind is, without knowing, unconsciously, creating and manifesting this entity called the ego. And this entire life, the baby's mind, or now the person's mind, doesn't know that it's a part of anything like the universe. It believes it's separate from everything, which is why it suffers. And it also has this entity that it created called the ego, which comes from fear and or lack, whispering in its ear, keeping it limited, keeping it in a little box, keeping it scared uh, throughout its life. And so when a person starts to become conscious, aka present, aka still, the ego literally dissolves because it can't withstand the light. And the only two entities in the room is consciousness and the human mind, the person. And so this, this mind is deeply conditioned through fear and lack and limitations. It doesn't even know how to receive consciousness or understand it. It's too vast, it's too big, it's too perfect, it's too unknown. And it only knows this manifested ego, which it thinks it is. And so oftentimes as, as you become conscious, you know, there's this period where the ego still is there, you know, and it still comes through. And the mind has a tough time still remembering that it manifested this ego. It has a tough time even maybe even becoming aware of that. And so when the ego chirps back in, it still identifies with it, which is interesting. And so if you still identify with the mind, you will also identify with the manifested ego that pretends to be the mind. Hmm, I see. So I'm just trying to think of an example like, Let's see, maybe you're insecure about something in a situation and, you know, your ego comes out by you trying to talk as if you know a lot about a subject or, you know, over talk someone or, you know, if you're associating yourself with, I'm the smart person who has all these thoughts, I'm the person who can think a lot on this subject, your ego might come out as, you know, an arrogant ass when in reality, if you kind of separated from that ego and realized I'm trying to figure out what you would realize, but you would realize that, you know, there's a lot to learn in this subject. I have thoughts, but, you know, I'm going to share them. I, I'm just, uh, you know, that's a random example I just thought of, but I, I, does it relate to what you're saying or not? Really? I think a good example would be, I always use the example of the, you ever seen the cartoon of like the angel and the devil and the person? Mm -hmm. So the angel is consciousness. The person is the the sentient being, the avatar, and the devil is the ego. And so oftentimes there's these two voices coming through. And as I mentioned, the mind created the ego. And oftentimes it can't hear consciousness because of its fear-based thoughts. So it, it really doesn't have a profound understanding or relationship with actual consciousness, this person. And so it has a really profound relationship. So this thing is so good at whispering you know, like, for instance, like, say you want to start eating healthy because you love yourself. Well, the ego is really good about that morning when you wake up to say, start Monday. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll start Monday. Or like, you don't have enough time. Or when you do your breath work and you're breathing, and you're getting quiet, it chimes in. You're not doing it right. You can't do this right. You're no good. You should quit. Or when you date somebody, it's really good about whispering in your ear, she doesn't like you. 
or you don't deserve this relationship. And so that's where a lot of people's minds are at. This, this really, really intrusive unworthiness, these thoughts. And so the mind believes it over a long period of time. And so if you can tap into consciousness, which is love, which is loving awareness, it's completely the opposite. Right? You can start hearing a different voice of like, you are worthy or you can do this. Yeah, and, and then soon the mind will start to be able to differentiate who's speaking to it. And it's really quite simple, actually. Whenever it comes from fear or lack, it's coming from the ego. And whenever it's coming from love, it's coming from consciousness source. So then you can get really good about listening to the thoughts and where they come from. And this will also be helpful because if you get good about listening to your thoughts, you're not getting pulled into them. Right. You can kind of just see them, observe them. Hmm. You said, if you learn to listen to the thoughts, you then recognize that you aren't the thoughts. Is that what you said? Well, yeah, I think that's the hardest part. I think a lot of people, the reason why they suffer is they get pulled into their thought movie, right? So if you, if, if you identify, if consciousness, when I say you, if consciousness identifies with the thoughts, um, you know, who uses a really cool uh, analogy is Michael Singer from Untethered Soul. He, uh, he uses this scenario where, you know, when you go to a movie theater and you're watching a really good movie, and it's so good that you completely forget that you are in a movie theater with 300 people. That it's so good that everything is tuned out. All you see is the movie, that you become the movie. Um, you can't even feel your body anymore. You are just literally the movie. Well, that's what everybody is right now with their mind and consciousness. Consciousness is so into their human movie, their thought movie, that's consistently playing through all these hypotheticals um, that aren't even real, that aren't even happening. And they forgot. They need to step out of their movie, their human thought movie, and, and zoom out become the watcher, right, of their thoughts, of their movie, and remember that they're not the movie, that they are consciousness having the experience, but they aren't the experience. And the best ways to zoom out, to get that objective view are meditation. breath work, psychedelics, meditation, no, maybe stillness. even conscious conversations with people. So it's just maybe. more so, it, so you have stillness. Stillness is the key to the universe, right? Presence is the key to the universe. So what can you use or what tools or modalities can you, um, you know, exercise, use to create stillness? Is it the breath? Is it the cold? Is it, you know, there's so many forms of what can create this, this essentially what yoga state, this flow state. Yoga is one of them. Extreme heat. Yes, plant medicine. But it's, it's really what's really about, what's really amazing about all this is like, it's, it's a retraining of the brain to be present. So essentially, after some time of kind of building better habits that, that allow you to fall into the present moment through, through techniques like breath work or working out or yoga or whatnot, eventually you're retraining your brain to actually be present and not be in these um, fear-based thought movies. And so that's, that's really all we're doing is presence is consciousness. So if you can introduce your brain, your person, to the present moment, over and over again, they start to understand what they are a part of and 
who they really are. You have to peek under the veil quite often because the mind can't really comprehend or can't comprehend at all the vastness that is the universe, right? It's too infinite, it's too perfect, it's too pure, it's too divine. And so you have to meditate or create stillness on a daily basis, possibly maybe multiple times a day, just to retrain your brain, your person, to be in the now, to be present, the art of being, so that they can actually experience their human experience. Because right now you're not experiencing it, you're in your mind. Nobody's actually experiencing the human experience. They're just experiencing their mind. And their mind is terrifying. So how can you clean your mind? How can you clean your body? With love. And what is love? Stillness. Like loving awareness, consciousness, universe, stillness meditation, presence, God, all symbiotic, I would say. They're all the same. Interesting. And yeah, I, I could definitely see myself falling into the trap of, you know, replaying a thought movie either about the past or about the present. Oh, I'm anxious about this present thing that's coming up. Oh, it's coming. The date's coming. When, and I'm just, I'm listening to this movie the whole time instead of, well, I actually have the here and now, which is actually really nice if I just sat and look around and just took a breath, you know, I'm really not that experienced in meditation at all. Like it, I, my mind's kind of been opened over the past few months talking to all kinds of people mm -hmm. on this podcast and just seeing how people are truly having profound experiences and are tapping into their present moment and are truly finding joy and peace and love in doing so. And I'm like, why in the world isn't this prescribed at, at you know, a hospital? Oh, I'm feeling anxious. No money. Oh, here's a, here's a pill. No oh, money. no. How about a breath? You know, but that does, you don't make money off of that, really. There's no money. <laughs> so, in, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, there's no money in teaching people the breath. So I think it's, that's, that's also a powerful awareness shift. I think, and a lot of people don't want to look at this, but I think there is a, there, there is people and businesses that are consistently vying for your attention. And, and the way they keep your attention is through um, fear. You know, if they can create a lot of fear within you, they can make you very anxious, whoever they may be, businesses, corporations, people. Um, that, that's a real system. You know, that's a real system that exists. I believe it exists. And that system is neither good or bad. It's what they choose to do, but they do uh, create fear and anxiety within humans. And then from that, uh, they also, that same system creates never ending amounts of uh, simulated and stimulated simulation, uh, uh, stimulations um, for you to cope with. And then after you're done coping on those forms of stimulations, uh, you are then anxious again, because usually those forms of stimulations aren't actually good and what we're really what we really should point out is like what are people actually searching for when they're afraid when are they what are they actually searching for and they're actually searching for connection that's it that's all everybody's searching for is for deep meaningful connections the problem is nobody knows how to connect because nobody knows how to be present so every single person everything that they do they're outsourcing or externally um, searching for 
connection, whether it's through substances, um, people, you know, it's, it's pretty wild when you think about that. Like the reason why you are even making money, it's to, again, fall into, I made enough money now. Am I good enough? Can we connect? Or when you work out, I look good enough now. Do I look good enough? Can we connect? Most people aren't present while they're working out and working out for the love of connecting to their sentient being. Right? Most people aren't eating eating food to connect to their sentient being. They're mostly eating food to get the high from the food. Most people, yeah, if you if you really ask a person how often are you getting high through the day or how often are you connecting is a pretty wild question. Like most people are on autopilot unconscious and and operating from the hot from the mind that is fear-based driven which is diving into all these forms of false connection stimulation to cope with this fear of unbeing not being enough or unworthiness mm. yes yeah, some of the stimulation might be oh i don't feel connected to anyone let me just scroll on social media trying to they don't even have that thought they don't even have that thought they don't even have the thought of oh i feel not connected because that would at least Mm. be a thought it's literally Mm -hmm. they just grab the phone and they're mindlessly scrolling or they they just go to the fridge and they're mindlessly opening up the fridge right or they just mindlessly drink six cups of coffee a day or they mindlessly watch 12 episodes of netflix in a row or they mindlessly are in relationships, right? They're actually, there's no, there's actually no thought of why do I work where I work? You know, why do I work out? Why am I eating right now? Why am I calling this person to hang out? Right? There's not, there's not actual thought. There's just kind of going through the motions because that's what the collective does. They just go through the motions. Like, oh, if I work out, then I'm enough. But that's not even a thought either. That's what they're chasing, right? They're working out because that's what everybody's doing right now. And if you look good, you get praised, right? This is all happening unconsciously like this. They see that like, oh, it's like, oh, if he has the abs, look at all the attention he gets, right? And that's not even a thought. That's just all happening unconsciously. So then he has a thought of like, oh, I need to get abs and doesn't even know why. But what's really driving that I need to get abs is the fear of not being enough. And then once he even gets the abs, he'll realize that that wasn't it. And then he'll pick something else. And then he'll pick something else. And then you have to come to the realization or the awakening or remembering that you are consciousness. You're already enough. Always have been, always will be. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's really a, a rebirth. It really is an awakening. You know, I think a lot of people are asleep in this, this unconscious space and because we just didn't have the tools or the guidance in many ways. And so again, back to why don't they teach this stuff? Well, there's no money in it. There's a lot of money in co- unconscious consumerism. People are unconsciously consuming all day long, all the products that actually make you more anxious from, the toothpaste you use, to the sodas that you drink, to the food that you eat, to the music you listen to, to the TV shows you watch. And so a lot of things are are also feeding this anxiety. Um, and to step outside of that is terrifying because you once you no longer identify with the mind, 
you also no longer, like I mentioned, identify with the ego, and, and that truly feels like a death because the ego actually dies. And, and uh, that's a hard one for a lot of people. And it's also hard for them to let go of a lot of these things that they indulge in unconsciously because it's what gives them comfort. Hmm. Do you think it's the human, just the nature of being human that you're going to have fear-based thoughts? Or do you think it's because of the environment slash society we grew up in? Or is it a bit of both? Well, I think, so it's good to def define like fear. There's different types of fear, right? Like primordial fear is fine. You know, like primal fear, like, you know, when you're in, in a dangerous situation and you need to react and it's a wonderful tool then. Um, I don't know if fear is probably the best word then, you know, but the type of fear that most people are suffering from is their thought movie, that things that aren't even happening yet. They're living in the what if or they're living in the past. So that these type of this type of fear is incredibly unhealthy and causes the body to get sick because the brain um, doesn't know the difference between the past or the future. So if you replay something over and over again, um, the mind doesn't know and it believes it's actually happening and it dumps all these hormones, um, these these good fear hormones back in the day, like when a lion was chasing you for you to run and hide and escape. But then that went away within two minutes, right, after you were safe. And then you didn't think about it again because you weren't self-aware as a primal person. So... Now the mind works completely different. And in fact, like there's nothing ever actually scary chasing you. It's, it's always the, the fear of, am I going to be able to pay my bills or am I worthy or all these other things. So like, and, and these are full of people, full in every, everybody's head, all these thoughts, all these fears. And this is what's consistently playing. So the feeling of this fight or flight that wasn't supposed to like be happening often, these hormones that are being dumped. Uh, that's happening all the time, all day long. And the body suffers tremendously from this. It becomes very, very sick and it's not sustainable. And I feel like that's how like cancer rises and gut health issues, right? Cause you have those fears within you all day long and they really, really like, you know, hurt the body over time. Hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. I guess segueing still on the topic of, you know, fear or, you know, some people might work out because they're afraid that they may not be worthy or they may not be attractive enough to a mate. But there are good reasons why one might work out. Of so why why might you work out? I see you post videos with kettlebells. I love hit workouts. It's like one of my favorite things, but I I I have some answers of why, but I'm curious why you might uh simply to connect with my person create presence with my, that's all I do all day. Actually, that's my main goal every day with everything I do. The reasons why I eat is to connect with my person or the people around me. The reason why I work out is to have a wonderful moment to create such a level of presence with my human, um, and connect with him, you know, and, 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 um, push him to certain levels and see what he's capable of, uh, test him put him in possible um, uncomfortable situations where he gets tired or even frustrated and then hold presence for him, for him to work through it, to come out on the other side. Uh, trying hard things, doing hard things. This, this beautiful sentient being is an incredible creature that we don't utilize in, in many, many ways, you know, like, 
And like I said, like the reasons why we work out aren't for connecting with this person whatsoever. I think a lot of times, like, like we mentioned, people are working out so they can be socially accepted or do I look good enough now? And, and so imagine lifting your entire life from a place of fear and or lack. It's a, it's an unusual spot to actually lift from through fear while you're training or, or anything. Imagine like why you became a doctor. What if you went through all those years of school, the reason why you're studying, the reason why you're trying to ace this test was, am I enough now? Imagine that's why you run. Imagine that's why you save money. Imagine that's why you have the car or the house or even the girl. Uh, building an entire life on these fragile, fragile legs of fear and lack. And what everybody is really finding out when they have the car, the girl, the body, the money, they really do understand that it's still not it. They're still searching after that. And the, the trick or not even the trick, the, uh, the epiphany is that you've always been enough because of who you are. We've been told the other part. The other part's just the story we've been told that we're not enough by our conditioning, by our parents, by society, by dogmatic religions, by schools, by the system. But that's just a story and your mind chose to believe it. And during that process, created and manifested this ego to protect it and is asleep in the system. Hmm. Yeah, I actually... I could see how sometimes like this is kind of what I do sometimes it's like all right Harley you you know you're doing well but there's a few instances in which you could improve you can improve in this way that way and this way you aren't necessarily enough right now you could be so much more it's not a fear-based thing it's actually super optimistic for me it's like okay wow you have so much potential that you aren't necessarily implementing at the moment utilize it by, you know, pursuing what you should and you will be a better version of yourself. And because you aren't enough now is not a pessimistic thing. It's actually incredibly optimistic. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people have that idea, but that's how I kind of motivate myself by saying you aren't necessarily enough and that's okay, but you can be more like, what, what is your opinion think, on that? I think really what it, what we come down to is like, are you approaching it with love? That's it. If you're approaching it with love, then it works. So it's all how you want to manipulate your human, right? To, to get out there and do more, be more, become more aware. And I think having grace for our human, our person, as they remember who they are, as they go through their experiences, when they fall down and stuff like that, or, you know, when they're quite not there yet. And with this road is infinite, by the way, like you don't figure out in one lifetime, it's multiple lifetimes uh, and it's infinite, it seems. So, um, yeah, I think grace is beautiful. And I think that's kind of maybe what you're more so leaning towards is having grace for your person, you know, as they become more love, become more light, become more. I don't like to use the term worthy because they already are and they already are love and they already are light. It's more like remembering, remembering. Like that's, that's actually like this whole, yeah, again, like you can tell your person that you want more from them, 
and that they're essentially unworthy. But yeah, words are funny. It really comes down to your essences and like what's behind the essences of the word. And if it's with loving grace, then yeah, those words work. It really just depends on the person, right? Like if another person, it's just in the tone of someone were to be like, oh, you know, you're not worthy, you know, until you do this. And it's like this, this father figure who said that to him as a child and made him feel unworthy going through it. And that's a totally different vibe. But if, but if you are speaking with love and you choose these words that can really mean anything, it really comes down to your essence, then I think that's pretty much um, the most important part is what's behind it. Is it love or is it with judgment? I think, sure. Yeah, I don't think we ever want to judge our person. They're figuring it out. We want to give them room to experience, r room to uh, fall down and stand up all the room. I mean, that's what we're here for is to experience and without judgment. And that's what everybody actually wants. Everybody just wants room to experience this life without judgment. And they haven't had a chance to. Hmm. Yeah. I could see sometimes being a little, maybe you might disagree and that's totally good. But sometimes for me, at least being too gracious and too loving, like, Oh, you're totally perfect the way you are, Harley. You don't have to change a single thing. Oh, you're, you know, from my, from the community I grew up in, they'd say, God loves you the way you are. You're totally perfect. You're loved. Don't worry about it. For me, that was like, that was like the exact opposite of love for me sometimes. Cause I felt like, how is this helpful? If I'm already are all, all perfect and all good. I could just sit back and do nothing forever then. You know, I'm already perfect and don't, don't have to do anything. Whereas me say, someone saying, well, you, you have such potential to be such a person on this earth if you utilized it. And then if you, you know, if you, every single day you worked at it and I'm like that for some reason motivates me way more than the a hundred percent grace and love. Like I like the balance of like, you know, you got to have a little bit of judgment, you know, a little bit to like say, hey, if you want to be a little better, you got to move, you know, but I'm not sure. What no, you think. I, I think, I think, uh, as I mentioned before, I think it really just comes down to the essences behind the words because words can be a little tricky, right? I, I think I, I fully understand what you're saying. I think in a lot of ways, we are probably saying the same thing, just using uh, different vocabulary, different words. You know, it's, um, I believe in essence, everything is perfect. Like everything is as it should be. Like there is like everything that happens right now in this world is as it should be. It's just happening. And so it's perfect. Right. And then how you can live here, we can become more mindful about how we go through this life and we have ignorances. Right. And so that's, that's kind of like what I think we all are trying to actually focus on in some way is like, how can we become aware of our ignorances so that we can become more mindful about essentially our energy exchanges through the day. So just sitting back and watching the world do its thing isn't exactly mindful. So it's not exactly, you know, perfect in your terms. I would say mindful more than perfect, right? Like you're already perfect. Things are perfect. But how can you be more mindful? How can you be more thoughtful? And that takes um, a great deal of stillness and presence to be able to see where you can be more mindful, where you can be more thoughtful. So there is quite a bit of work 
that you can do that you can't just sit back. Avoidance, you know, and you know, is something that I think a lot of people do. Um, I, I personally think the birth of responsibility is to become enlightenment and then to also then lead by loving example. And that requires a lot of work. You know, even though it, like it's perfect, but if you want to align yourself, I feel, and uh, doing this type of things, going through the day, like you said, like what's the reasons behind it? What's the reasons of like, hey, like you're unworthy, but what's what's the finish line for you? What is that line? Is it is it an external finish line or is it an internal finish line? Like when you tell your person, hey, you're, you know, you still need to do this, for what? So you said external versus internal. Is that going back to the Eckhart Tolle? Is that what um, you said? Um, it might have been something he might have mentioned in his book, but most people, when they seek you know, worthiness, um, or the reasons why, why they're doing things, it's, it's all through external things, you know, as opposed to going inward and truly understanding it, that they are already worthy, that they're already enough. And then what they're really, what you're really doing is like, yes, your person. So if you're getting into like, again, like separating the two, so consciousness is already perfect. And this experience that you're having is indeed also perfect, but there is suffering going on within your person. So how can we guide your person to be more mindful so that they align with their true self that is consciousness? And so that's kind of like what everybody's figuring out. And oftentimes, if you identify as the person, the person doesn't know how to go inward to understand that they're already worthy. And then when they do that, they become connected to everything that is around them, which will allow them to be more mindful of how they operate in this everyday life. But if you don't get still and or quiet and truly understand what connection is that, and understand that you are part of everything and the best way that you can show up and, and essentially for everything and for self is by becoming mindful of your energy transactions through the day, how you participate in this experience is really going to dictate on how you feel and as opposed to like searching it externally. Hmm. Yeah, that was really, really well said. And, you know, I guess this is kind of a famous question, I guess. So when you are attempting to be mindful and, and see yourself and I guess make choices on this earth, are you the one who's making the cho choices or are, like, are you the author of your life or, you know, is free, this is the question of free will. Are you making the decision to be mindful or, you know, I, I don't fully know where are these thoughts coming from? I guess that's two questions. Like, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah. I mean, this is like um, a fun little rabbit hole. You know, I think that soul there's souls, right. And, and, and every soul has free will to operate as they wish but there's only one truth and that's we are one and we are part of the divine um, loving awareness entity, right? And this entity, as I mentioned, experiences itself through everything, through everyone, through like uh, you can call them souls, right? Entities, spirits. And uh, each, and I think like in the free will that each soul has is um, very important 
because then how could something already perfect truly experience something, right? There has to be some form of duality, polarity, the dark and the light, right? For there to be um, experiences and for us to gain perspective and to understand. And so I, I feel like, um, like I said, that's why I don't think there's anything else as, as good or bad because you can't have the good without the bad. There can't be the dark without the light. And so I, I, I feel like um, everybody has a choice and that is service to self or service to others. And neither one is good and neither one is bad, but one is definitely aligned. And that's the service to self? Service to others. Okay. <laughs> is I feel they aligned with the divine. And what you'll realize is that when you service others, it inherently is service to self because we are one. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard like the best give, the best gift to give is to give yeah. to others. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's just through my own personal experience. You know, it's like when I made my, um, my outer purpose to be of service, to help others understand who they are, which is love my life improved tremendously. And when I became aware of how I was operating in this world, down to the music I listen to, to the companies I support, and I just put out a post the other day, you know, uh, that's a big one for me is my energy exchanges throughout the day. So like supporting certain companies is a big one. You know, when you pay attention that everything is energy, right? And we are all one, we are all deeply connected. When you have these businesses that only care about making money and or profit and they cause massive suffering uh, onto people, animals and or the planet to make that profit. And you purchase that with your money, with your currency, with your energy. And then you take that energy that was made with no love that, that and you consume that product that was made with no loving intentions. In fact, there was massive suffering that went into making that product or that food. Right? or that show even. And so when you, when you start aligning yourself with, with energies and becoming mindful of how you participate in this world and how you possibly could be ca causing you know, a great deal of suffering with our ignorances, I feel is the, the biggest lesson of all, for, uh, for me at least, at this time. Um, that's been everything. Um, really being mindful of where I purchase things where they come from, how they're made. Are there loving intentions made into the t-shirt that I buy? Are there loving intentions made into the animal that was slaughtered? Right? Or the plants that are grown? Or the music that is made? And I think that's that's where my life shifted tremendously. Is I, you know, and I, like I said, I think like a lot of times why we can't give up a lot of these things that we consume unconsciously and even when we become conscious of them that they're no good the reason why we have a tough time with giving those things up is because they're also the coping mechanisms to our anxiety you know like for instance you have um, the platform netflix you know over the years you can see what netflix produces and the people that uh, ahead of netflix and um from my personal research i've i've come to realize that they do indeed over-sexualize children, right? And you can even possibly call it grooming based off of the stuff that they've put out there uh, in their cartoons when parents are, you know, busy and they put their kid down in front of the TV and there's some 
just some suspect stuff, you know, and, and so I can become aware of this and then I can choose with my money, with my dollar, with my energy, do I choose to want to support this company even anymore, even though they might have Rick and Morty on there or Family Guy, which I enjoy, or some of these episodes, right? And you have to go through that fork. Here's that fork in the road. Um, service to self or service to others, you know, and sometimes that fork is tough. Sometimes it's easy. I did the same thing with Nike, you know, like once I found out Nike um, uses slave labor in China to make all of their products, I stopped supporting Nike. There's a fork in the road. And the same thing with buying plastic water bottles, fork in the road. Right? There's lots of them. There's millions of them, thousands and thousands. And, uh, you know, they can be overwhelming, all these forks, right? So I think the trick is, is grace. Grace is powerful. Have fun with it. There is no, like, there is no, like, who can do it faster? Who's doing it better? That's all bullshit. That's that one up. That's the ego again. There's no judgment of others like that are working through it. I don't judge people who use Netflix. I just don't use Netflix. I don't judge people who buy Nike. I just don't use Nike. And, you know, and I think that's very important, as you said, as we go through this enlightening phase to stay humble, to realize that everybody's on their own journey. At one point, I was very much also ignorant to many of these forks and um, I know I'm very ignorant to many many more and the only way I can become mindful of those forks is through stillness through the present moment so that I can become more aware of how I operate because really what you're doing is you're raising your vibration every time you become present right you raise your your frequency you become more light you become more love and so when you become more light you become more love you raise your vibration you go out into your day after your meditation and things hit differently you know from you put put on a, a track that you've always listened to in your car on the way to the gym and that for whatever reason for whatever reason you uh don't like that song anymore and you, you don't know why but it's because your frequency raised and like this song that maybe in the 90s when every song was about like fuck this fuck that all that kind of stuff um all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know what? That song doesn't really resonate with me anymore. I'm like, I'm going to let that go. And like a part of you sees it differently. And it's just simple little things like that often. Or like, um, you know, food. You know, when you start meditating and becoming more present, you start paying attention energetically what the food feels like when you eat it or when you ingest it. And so like all of a sudden you'll eat something that you've always eaten, which is like maybe some muffin from 7-Eleven every morning. And you eat that muffin after you get into meditation, you'd be like, oh, that just doesn't sit in right. And this is all done unconsciously, which is really cool. But then eventually you start becoming more conscious. You start having these side conversations. Do I really want the muffin? You start asking that question. You never asked it before. You just bought the muffin. You just listened to the music. You know, you just participated without ever going, do I want this? Does it, does it align with me and my values and who I am? And um, that's the fun part, I feel. Like, I don't think a lot of people have fun with that part, but I, I actually love that part. It's, uh, I love becoming aware of my ignorances. I love when I get triggered because I see that my ego is trying to come, come through and I can, I can catch it now and see it and not react and meet it with love and completely dissolve it. 
So like, I really have a fun time becoming self-aware where I think a lot of times in the beginning, it, it can be kind of hard for people because they still identify as the person though. I think that's really what allowed me to have a lot of fun with my experience here and becoming aware of my ignorances without uh, feeling any sort of way about it. You know what I mean? Or if someone points it out, but like, hey, Justin, like, you know, just so you know, this, this, or this. And I love that feedback where other people, if it's still tied to their trauma or their triggers, um, that might be a little bit harder. I think that's a big conversation too. So if you identify with the person, you also identify with all your traumas. So how do you get rid of your trauma? By not identifying with the person. And then introducing the person to love. And then it relieves all the trauma because you no longer, the reason why we hold trauma is because we um, were upset at the person who, who did the trauma. That's why it's there. But, but if you forgive, accept, and have empathy, then it leaves. Love. But the only way you can forgive that person is to therefore also see that they were unconscious. And then you don't take it personally. You see how it works, the enlightenment? Once you become enlightened, yeah, it's like, it all like trickles down in such a beautiful way. Like, you know, I grew up, <clears throat> I grew up um, abused as a kid by my stepdad. And, uh, and my mom was really heavily abused as a child. And it closed her off and, and in many ways to connect to her children just because of her abuse, right? And my stepdad was also incredibly abused as a kid as well, severely, severely physically abused. And so you know, they didn't have the tools to connect. They didn't have the tools to regulate their anger or their frustration. And then they take this unconscious behavior and they pass it down to your children. And so my, my stepdad passed it down physically and my mom passed it down in a different way. Her heart being closed didn't allow her to connect to her children so her children could possibly be trying to search or need connection from uh, external forces throughout their lives, right? That they didn't get from the mom and maybe even bad relationships or just neediness and relationship in general, see how it can like transfer into different things. And so at a young age though, unconsciously, I had tremendous amounts of empathy for my stepdad and um, tremendous amounts of empathy for my mom, even though she didn't know how to connect with me. And because I had empathy and love, I didn't take on my parents' trauma. It didn't pass down. And that was it. That's really the only way that can be done. But if you, if you identify with the trauma and identify like and create the story that your father didn't like you because he beat you and you weren't good enough, that's the, that's a story that's not true. The real story is, is that he's unconscious. And he was severely abused and didn't have the tools to raise in consciousness to actually remove those fears and trauma within himself. And he's unconsciously passing it down. So it's all unconscious. It's not done on purpose. It's not personal. It's not hate. It's none of those things. And if I take that and I create a story and I tie fear and hate to it, I'm going to take that trauma with me. And then I can pass it down or give it to whoever I want. People in my relationships, you see it all the time. 
people like put it on their person, put it on their children. And so enlightenment is the key. It really is the key to psychological freedom and no longer suffering within the mind. So the mind needs to understand what it's truly a part of, but first it has to, um, you first have to like separate consciousness from it. It's like consciousness is like, almost like, it's weird, it sounds so powerful, but at the same time it can like get easily pulled in and like hypnotized, right? Like consciousness is always looking through these eyes, right? What's behind the eyes is consciousness, right? What's behind the person is consciousness, but I can get pulled into my device and consciousness can sit there and scroll and scroll and scroll and then I can like, I don't even want to scroll on this, right? It just pulled me in. So consciousness can definitely get pulled into the thought movie and get taken for the ride. And, you know, that's really suffering. So it's like you're playing both roles. You're the person and you're the, you're the parent and the child. And the best way to navigate through being a parent or a child is to act in love and in empathy, recognizing that the person that you're surrounded with and yourself even are, you know, influenced by things that you may not understand or have, you know, unconscious traumas or thoughts that they don't even recognize. Yeah. And, you know, when you realize that hating someone seems dumb because why would you hate someone who acted upon impulse without recognizing why? And yeah. Yeah. That's where I, that's where I was able to like uh, essentially break free of, of my family's generational trauma that's been just passed down and passed down, and passed down. And, um, I think that's a lot of times why most people, and, and, you know, it doesn't even have to be abusive. I think a lot of times when we see like these picture perfect families of people with nice houses and nice cars and stuff like that, you know, that father say that mother was a workaholic and they had this fear of creating this perfect house and getting their kids to the perfect school and having all the clothes and all the food. Right. But it came from fear because maybe they grew up and they didn't have the house, they didn't have the food. So everything that they're doing, this drive to, um, you know, to take care of their children also comes from fear. And they're actually not present with their kid because they're living in the fear as opposed to the present moment. So it's really fascinating that, that really most people don't live in the present moment. Someone asked me one day and I was really excited about my answer because I'm naturally just such a present person. Um, even before I became conscious, I would say, even when I was operating unconsciously throughout my life, I was a very present person, almost like a dog, I would say. Uh, true ADHD. I think people that are true ADHD people are, are very, very present individuals. Very, very present. Almost so present they lack focus like a dog. Right. But then, but then you can, you can, you can really train the dog. You can get it to be focused and well-behaved and smart and present, even, even, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And so that's what I had to do. And how did I, how did I train this, this crazy ass dog mind that was like easily pulled in every direction and like, look a ball or look at bird or look at this, uh, was through stillness presence. So I think ADD is or ADHD is a, a wonderful thing <laughs> to have. I just think it means you're not easily programmed.
Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, wouldn't you say that sometimes when you become still and present, the thoughts that first rush to your mind are sometimes maybe the thoughts that are most important in your life. If you've taken enough time to, you know, if you've taken five minutes to quick meditate and really be still and, you know, try to get as many thoughts out of your mind as possible, the first thoughts that come, wouldn't you, would you say that those are an indication of what is most impacting the forefront of your brain or what should be most focused on? I don't know. Do you I mean, use that as a tool? That's a cool question. I don't know. You know, I think, I think oftentimes, uh, you know, original thoughts only come through the present moment. So maybe there's some truth to like what you're saying. I don't know if it's always like an absolute, right. But I think oftentimes the, I mean, really most of the times I get incredibly present is for that portal to open up so the original thought or the download or the epiphany can come through that will help guide me to be a more mindful person so that's kind of like my normal routine is the meditations that create the beingness for me to open up a portal through presence for an original thought to come through while my mind is completely still and then from that stillness i can receive a loving download on how I can handle this or do that or reflect on this, or be better about that, how I can show up better and more as love. You know, and you can, you can definitely prime um, your meditation through like manifestations or journaling and stuff like that, you know, to have a direct route. Um, I personally like to just focus on the beingness and then usually whatever needs to come up um, is exactly what I need per se. I think it's hard though. I, the, like what you're talking about, like sometimes it's, it's hard for people I feel with the meditation, um, because what comes up are a lot of their, their things they haven't dealt with yet. Right. So that, that, that is like a scary space because they've already been avoiding it their entire lives. Well, for you to, you know, not have it anymore, you have to go through it. You have to love it. And so that's why I think a lot of people also avoid this work unconsciously. Because like I said, also too, like presence, presence dissolves the ego. So it feels like a death when you start to become present. So people get really anxious when they are put in present situations. That's why like even dancing, like say everybody's dancing and you're not a dancer because you're self-conscious, but you see a bunch of people who are dancing purely unconscious it's just conscious freedom right and like they're just in it and they're vibing and they're not trying to look a specific way that can make that one person like incredibly uncomfortable just by them being themselves by being present and i forgot where i read too it might have been an eckhart tolle book or a michael singer book but they even say like you know you could take a human being and put them on a park bench in the middle of the city and they'll probably feel fine but if you were to take that same person and put them in the middle of a forest and there's nothing around you that you can create a story from, right? Or have any thoughts or opinions on, and you're just forced to sit in the present moment and you're forced to feel nature, which is only presence. And it stares at you. You feel uneasy. You start to feel a little anxious and that's, that's because it's requiring you to also do the same thing. And when that happens, the ego starts to dissolve and it feels like a death and people feel uncomfortable with that. 
that's also why it's nice not to identify with the mind because if you if you can get away from identifying the mind you also will be able to see when the ego uh, is uh, going through this dyingness or judgment when it comes up through judgment because then you can catch it and then it can be fun it doesn't have to be the ego is not a bad guy either it's not like this this like shitty thing you know like fuck the ego it's more like no this is an entity for sure that's been manifested and you can you can also hold this ego with love right so now i look forward to it whenever it comes up but i can see it now like oh there it is and then you can lean into it more with your presence. It dissolves even faster. Interesting. I guess, trying to think, would you say another way to deal with trauma would be talking it out with someone you can trust? Or You can't really do it alone, can you? You can totally do all of this alone through stillness, through presence, through meditation, right? Hmm. So remember, you're, you're both, both roles essentially. So you are consciousness and you're also the, the sentient being, right? So the sentient being, what, what they really want is safe space to be authentically itself, to be vulnerable. And it has never had a chance to do, to do so because of the consistent judging of self and from others. And so that's why everybody wears so many masks. And that's why people avoid uh, breath work or say a sound bath or plant medicine even like Everybody like those plant like this is amazing, but what stops the person from doing the plant medicine ceremony? What really stops it? Isn't that funny? It's like this deep, deep fear of of being, of seeing it. Um Yeah, where was I going with this? I was leading into something. Uh talking with someone oh, you can do thank it alone. You, thank you. Yeah, so essentially what you realize is that every time that you be I was just telling my client the other day, she was going through it and her person was just going through all these fears and anger and frustration, right? Her sentient being, her person was just going through it and I can hear her going through it and I can hear her mind pulling her in to trying to understand this consistent gaslight that she was getting from her family, right? And I was like, see, like, don't get pulled in. Don't get pulled in trying to understand this. Don't get pulled in. And then she was judging herself. And I'm like, Hey, listen, do you see how you're operating right now? You're allowing your person to get pulled in, judge herself, go through all these thoughts, go all these things and putting her through it. I'm like, be conscious right now, hold space for her. Step outside of her right now. What does she need more than anything? Does she need a hot shower? Does she need a warm bed? Does she need to do her breath work? Does she need to go for a walk? Does she need to put her feet on the grass? What can you do right now to pull her from the mind and get her to become conscious, a.k.a. love? Step outside of her. Don't get pulled into just her world and get pulled in and pulled in and pulled in and suffer and suffer and suffer and get pulled into your thought movie. Right? Like, emotions and things happen. They happen. How do you not get pulled in to the thought, to the emotion? Right? You got to be able to step outside of it at the same time and be conscious. Be consciousness as well. And consciousness is divine. It already knows. It knows how to hold space. It knows how to not judge. So, yes, you can talk to people through this, like myself. You know, and, and that does, I, I feel like that's what allows me to be really good at my work is that I remove the, the judgment 
um, from myself and people. So it allows people to unconsciously and authentically open up to me through conversations, which is really fun because it's the first time they've maybe ever had that. And, uh, but you can do this by yourself by creating safe space. So that's why like a meditation room is really powerful because so say every morning you consciously talk to your human, which I do every day, my person, you know, I sit up and there's times where he's like, yeah, I don't want to do the breath work. He's like, I'm tired. I want to do it. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. And then as consciousness, I'm like, bro, you know, you need to do the breath work. And you know how much better you'll feel and how much better you'll be if you do it. And I have this conversation with him and he can talk back and he can be like, you know, like I'll, I'll do it later. Or I'll, you know, like I didn't get enough sleep. You can have all these excuses. And then I can be like, well, you can do what you want, but you know how much better you feel. And then he let him sit on it and then he makes a really good choice usually. And he makes even better choices now because the ego's not in the room anymore. I dissolved the ego so many times that he's not really chirping in anymore or dictating or confusing him. And even see how I talk about my person, the dialogue is much different. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I say my person. It's been really helpful. And I actually help. I tell my clients to do the same thing when, when your person's going through it. Be like, man, my person's really feeling anxious right now as opposed to I'm feeling anxious, right? Because your true self is consciousness. So consciousness can never be anxious. Your person, your sentient being can be anxious. And if he's anxious, how can you show up for him right now? How can you guide him right now? Is it going for a walk or is it letting him go on the phone on autopilot and scroll for two hours? Who's guiding? And especially if he is very, very full of trauma and very, very unaware, he can really indulge in a lot of low vibrational things all day long on autopilot without realizing it. And that's how he goes through his entire life without realizing it, completely unaware. So like imagine like exposing him through meditation to the veil, under the veil that is consciousness, what he's actually a part of, that he's actually worthy, that he's actually already loved, that he is actually already perfect. He just has to reprogram himself to understand it, recondition himself to see it. And that takes a lot of work. You have to eat better. You have to exercise with intention. You have to lead by loving example. It is a lot of work. You don't just get to sit and see that you're perfect. This person is programmed at a low vibration. That's a lot of work. You have to really do a lot of work to raise his levels. Yeah, you have to eat right, listen to good music, watch good TV. If you're going to watch TV, dance, you know, cook, yoga. It's a lot of work. And a lot of people don't do that shit. So they have to reprogram their whole day. They have to relearn everything. And that's, that's scary because their whole identity was tied into all these things. You know, and the ego grasped and held on to all of it. And to let those things go is tough. It's scary. But that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Putting on the universe glasses is tough. But it's so worth it. But once you put them on, can you really take them off? You know, you can, you can for a while. It's just like the Matrix movie. It's like, you know, he's like, I want to take the blue pot. I don't remember anything. He like, the only way he can enjoy the steak and enjoy being perfect and, and, and rich and famous is if he really doesn't know about the system. 
But once you see the system and you realize like, wait, I can step outside of this. I don't have to buy into it. I could be free of it. And then you, you that's what, that's what, why we're doing all this stuff. We don't realize it, why we're eating healthy. We don't realize why we're working out. It's really, it's really to, to start operating differently. It's just that right now it's still operating from fear. The reason why people, most people do it. And soon when they operate from love, imagine training with love. Imagine getting relationships with love. Imagine doing your work with love. You know, imagine buying products with love and knowing that love was on the other end of it. How different that is. Hmm. Man, interesting. I guess a final question for, for those people, like you mentioned, who may not have that much of a routine, they're not present very often. They, they feel anxious, they feel fear, etc. What would you say is a good starting block for them? Like what's a good first step, you know, that they could do right now, right after this episode? Breath work. Yeah. Out of all the modalities or tools or exercises, I believe breath work is the best thing to do for, for people because um, it's also a more difficult one to get your person to sit down and do, I would say. You know, it's because our person is also so conditioned for instant gratification through these quick stimulations that like telling your human to go for a walk is not fast enough. Telling your human to sit down and do breath work for 20 to 30 minutes is too fucking slow. They're, they're suffering right then, right? The human's suffering right then. So that's why you get this, this pushback on presence because presence takes a moment to connect to presence. And so that's why being aware of this is also very powerful. Being aware that you aren't the person who doesn't want to do that. It's like the child who's been given an iPad his whole life when it cries and all of a sudden you don't give it an iPad. Whew. And you're like trying to get it to do breath work. That's going to be a mission. It's used to the iPad. And most kids were raised with iPads. That's what's wild. Especially the last generation. Phones and iPad is what they were given to because their parents were too stressed and too busy to actually be present with their kids. And so all these kids are used to these instant gratifications, these energy drinks, quick, quick fix, quick, quick, quick. So like when you tell them to sit down and do breath work for 10 minutes, it's like the most impossible thing they could ever do. But breath work, I feel, is the best tool to get into this type of work to really uh, enlighten you because... It does a few different things. One, it, it is a wonderful way to get the brain to focus on something like the breath, right? So you're giving a, a focal point, something to pay attention to, which is a powerful way to create presence, right? And then the next thing is the breath itself. It's moving tremendous amounts of energy around in and out of the body, alkalining the body, cleaning the cells through the breath. And so you can actually remove a lot of your anxiety, um, your even traumas, the body begins to shake, vibrate, um, powerful, powerful stuff um, with moving this energy in and around your body. You physically will feel lighter, you'll feel more at peace. The brain will become still, which, which is what most people suffer from is an over-analytical mind that doesn't stop. And that's also very important. The reason why people suffer is because of the mind, right? It's like, it's why everyone suffers. The mind never stops. If the mind stopped, nobody would suffer. I mean, that's like, I think one thing that we should definitely make very clear. The reason why human beings suffer on this planet is because of their mind. That's it. Their fears that have not yet happened yet. Pretty wild, right? 
Seriously. Yeah. That's where they live. And so how can you quiet that down is your question. How can you quiet down this mind that is playing this fucking movie over and over and over again of usually, am I enough? Am I worthy? That's most people. And so the breath is powerful. It quiets it down. And when you quiet it down, the magical thing of connection happens. Right? You all of a sudden tap into the universe. Everything around you, you, you are connected to. And when you get still, you tap into different frequencies, different vibrations. And you slowly become aware that you're a part of something so much bigger than you could ever imagined. And that's very curious for a lot of people. At the same time, very scary. So yeah, I mean, outside of breath work, some wonderful tools like the cold, obviously. You know, the cold can really quiet the mind really quick because it's so fucking cold. Sunbathing, sun gazing is actually a powerful one for me. I love um, dancing. I can transcend through dancing. Um, making love is another powerful one, but most people don't know how to make love properly because they don't know how to connect. So most people can't dance properly because they don't know how to connect. So I think the breath is the best tool, though, uh, hands down, uh, even before plant medicine. Yeah, that's great advice. I I can't be a hypocrite and not breathe after this episode. You know, I I need to start my breath work. I need to create a routine, and I think everybody you know, does stick to it. Yeah, it's it's it really is like a powerful awareness shift that the paradigm that we've been living in doesn't serve us or, or it served us for the time. And now we're ready to graduate from it. And, um, I think that's really, really powerful is understanding that the art of beingness is the actual human experience. And we haven't really been experiencing the human experience. We've been experiencing a simulation of the human experience and um, and that's 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 a far-out thing you know I think there's always that argument too like people are like well aren't I here to experience being human and like and not be this thing and I'm like yeah exactly but first you have to remember who you are so that you can actually be present to experience being the human because <laughs> you're not also experiencing being a human you're experiencing the thought movie of the human and that's no fun Yeah, it's so interesting. The way you speak and the way you think are ways that are just kind of outside of the typical things that I've heard. And it's been truly enlightening to use that word to just hear all that and to think about it and take all these notes and just I'm going to be chewing on these thoughts for a minute here as I, you know, try to remove the thought movies and try to live more in the present and with it. You know, just try to rec recognize that love is one of the best tools. Yeah, you know, and stillness is love. That's what's so cool. It's like, like once we really comprehend what stillness is, right? Stillness is consciousness. So whenever you're not present, technically, maybe you're not conscious. Maybe you're just a zombie who's following the thoughts yeah you're just and, going through the motions you know and and it, it, we we will do that for quite a long time you know I, I even still do it it's not like i'm like this 
fully conscious being in any way, but I'm, I'm much more aware of how I operate and why I operate through the day. Um, I have intentions with most things that I do. I'm not being pulled along or being manipulated. And that's really, really wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm a free sovereign person, not only physically, but mentally as well. And um, you really, you really do handle everything with such stoicism at some point, you know, whether it's um, a divorce or a death or an injury, a breakup, you know, like you really start to be okay with things and see things for what they are, not be so attached. And, and you're just so grateful for anything. Uh, quote-unquote good or bad that you get to experience it that you have this time and you really start appreciating everything every moment so it's um it takes time to to i think to get to this space but um it's where we're all headed there's definitely a beautiful shift in consciousness and people are doing this work more than ever and it's really exciting to do the work that I do. I'm really fortunate that I get to do this type of work and have these types of conversations with people and hold space for individuals. Like it's the best, it's the best thing in the world. And the only thing I can always do to make sure that I am at my most loving self is this work, is to meditate on a daily basis, um, to do everything mindfully as best I can and become aware of my ignorances and my energy exchanges. Uh, align with my core values and lead by them and give myself grace when I fall down. Yeah, it's amazing that you found that, you know, what, you know, you found something that truly makes your heart, you know, sing or, you know, you found something that you feel as if this is why I'm here on this earth. And I'm, I'm really happy that you found Thank you. that. Well, I think we all have the same purpose. We all have this, every okay. single one of us has the same purpose. And that's why, I mean, what's funny is, is like, I really love, I think out of everybody, um, you know, there's two types of people. There's like, there's two types of paths. I feel like we all end up choosing and we don't really uh, know what that path is, but, and uh, to lump it in two paths, there's either, uh, you're a guru or you're a shaman. So either you're a person who can simplify and or articulate um, knowledge, right? And share it with others, consciousness, or you hold space for people to feel safe and vulnerable and authentic to learn it on their own. Interesting. Right? But that that's like, that so you have that that'd be more so like your outer purpose your inner purpose is to become enlightened everybody has the same inner purpose and that's really what everybody who am i who are you who am i that's really what you want to know who am i so everybody's inner purpose is the same you are source you are love you are perfect you are consciousness and then once you become enlightened you then lead by loving example what's your vessel how do you lead is it through your words? Is it through holding space? Is it through song, through writing, right? So like holding space would be yoga, right? Holding space would be breath work. Holding space would be sound baths. And then guru would be um, writing, songs, lectures, teaching, 
right? And there's all these really great avenues. Even art would be under guru, I would say, like expressing through paint and telling a story through that. And so I think we can have a lot of fun if we, if we first understand the first part of the purpose, which is enlightenment. And then you can really pour that knowledge, that loving knowledge into how you can best lead. Is it through shamanism or guru or both? It's so interesting. Yeah, I, I see aspects of both within myself. Same, same. I do both. Uh, I do the conscious conversations and then the holding of the space for breath work. But yeah, you look at like mm -hmm. some really cool people in our, in our day and like Ram Das was a guru, I would say, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, he might've held space through meditations, but it seemed like he was really beautiful with the way he articulated and explained awareness and love and knowledge through his words and Alan Watts, a guru, you know, and then you have, you have other people who hold space. Like, I think um, Joe, Joe Dispenza does both, right? Sure. He expresses it through his books and his lectures, but then he also leads these profound breath works. And like, Wim Hof is a space holder. So, yeah, it's like, it's kind of fun leading into that. Are you a space holder or are you a guru? It's an interesting question. Yeah, it's fun though, right? Might. Yeah, it really is. Hmm. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking. I knew this conversation would dive into some deep things that, you know, we, I learned a lot. I hope you, you know, I, I hoped it helped you to articulate it more Thank you. Yeah. through this long form. Yeah, I did. I, these, these reps are really important. Yeah. It's like, it's therapy for us both in my I opinion. Agree. You know, yeah. We have to test out our ideas and be vulnerable. I, I agree. You know, I, I always really enjoy these types of conversations because like I said, like it really allows me to keep learning how to articulate my thought process on things um, better and better. And then also during that process, staying humble as I articulate them. That's one of the things that's been really important for me um, during these type of podcasts is like, how can I, share my knowledge without coming off like I have the absolute knowledge, you know, staying humble. And uh, that's also very important to me. That's one of the reasons why I always liked Ram Dass. He was always good about explaining without his ego. So, yeah, these are, these are actually really healthy uh, in all the ways. Yeah, man. Well, I really thank you. Yeah, so. no problem. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it.